2: You are listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is our review of The Little Mermaid. Take the
0: code, man! Over here! You broke the rules. You went to the above world.
2: Alright, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The Little Mermaid, and the story is as follows The youngest of King Triton's daughters, Ariel, is a beautiful and spirited young mermaid with a thirst for adventure. Longing to find out more about the world beyond the sea, Ariel visits the surface and falls for the dashing Prince Eric. Following her heart, she makes a deal with the evil sea witch Ursula to experience life on land. The film is starring. Hallie Bailey, Jonah Howard King, David Diggs, Aquafina, Jacob Tremblay, Noma Dumezweni, Javier Barden, and Melissa McCarthy. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Zoe Rose Bryant.
1: Hello, hello.
2: And joining us as a guest here, coming back to the show. She is now a writer for Deadline. We have Destiny Jackson.
0: Hey, hey, have you guys heard the scuttlebutt?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. We're starting off with that?
0: <laughs> no, no. I, you know, we'll, we'll, I chose violence. I'm so sorry. We'll, we'll go to that later.
2: <laughs> I know. I hear you. Okay. Well, this is another in the long line of Disney live action remakes. This one here directed by Rob Marshall. Previous credits include great films such as Chicago, And I I guess people liked Mary Poppins Returns, too. Uh, Very inconsistent filmography for Rob Marshall, uh, but a very reliable director in some regards uh, for the studios to rely on for a property such as this. This project has been long in development. I remember hearing about this for the first time back in 2016, and now we finally have it here in theaters, Um, It's, of course, adapted from the 1989 animated film of the same name. It's an iconic classic. It ushered in the Disney Renaissance, a period that we all know and love so much. And, of course, there was a lot of controversy, but I wouldn't even call it that. I'll just say noise over the casting of Halle Bailey as Ariel, the first uh, black woman to be uh, cast in the role here um, in a feature film. And so you just have like all this buzz and all this chatter, along with the typical Disney marketing machine behind it all. But now it's finally out. We finally get an idea of how the underwater sequences work. How does the story adapt to live action? What was changed? What was added? I mean, we all know the story here, but let's get into the general thoughts. What did we all think of The Little Mermaid? Destiny, you're the guest here. Let's start off with you.
0: I am going to see it again. I know this. And I have been struggling ever since seeing it yesterday. I think what I want to say, my short answer is going to be, I think it's a solid B. There's something about it that does not work for me all the time, but it's not bad. Like compared to the other Disney remakes that we have, my favorite being Cinderella and still is my favorite Cinderella by uh Kenneth Branagh starring Lily James and Kate Blanchett one of the first of the remakes. Um this one was really good like but there's something about it that's that's slowing me down here from giving it like a complete like ah oh, it was amazing it's uh, you know blew me out of the water and all those things. So yeah, in short I'm going to give it a B for right now. I think Yeah, I'll wait till we get into it a little more.
1: Okay.
2: All right. Zoe, what about you?
1: So I will preface this by saying I'm, like, triply biased because I I honestly have not really hated, I don't think, any of the Disney live-action remakes. I know they get a lot of flack on social media, and, you know, people will say they're creatively bankrupt and kind of a waste of time, but I've more or less enjoyed myself with most of them, Um, and The Little Mermaid is, like, probably... My favorite Disney animated film of all time. I wore that DVD out. I was obsessed with Ariel. I like saw so much of myself in her, and like this is just a story that spoke to me at such a young age. And I also love Rob Marshall. I know that's kind of also a divisive <laughs> opinion today, but I
2: opened up with a joke about the guy for goodness sake. <laughs>
1: yeah, like I think Chicago's a masterpiece. He should have won Best Director. I love his Into the Woods. Sorry, not sorry. Um, so I was, I was in the book and I also am a huge Hallie and Chloe fan. Like I am just obsessed with those two. And I was so excited when she got cast. Um, and so I do agree with some that I think it takes a little bit to get into because there is some wonky VFX early on, but they're a lot better, I think, than a lot of the subpar like trailers and TV spots would lead you to believe. And then I do think once it finds its foot in with the pacing, kind of when Ariel sees Eric and stuff, and that storyline starts to take off, I think we really get going and everything falls into place. But from the start, the thing that draws you in is just how perfect Halle Bailey is in this role. And I cannot say it enough, I she is the reason this movie works. She is the reason you should see this movie. She is just so effortless and natural as Ariel. And I think she honors the character we all know and love from the movie, but also gives her own new take on it and i really liked the adjustments i think they made to her personality her goals that's again i feel like it modernizes the story a little bit but doesn't you know you know tarnish what came before um and i also i i'm a huge romance fan i've said this countless times and this is such a well-done romance and the foundation is already really solid but heli's chemistry with jonah howard king is just like to die for i totally bought it i think they're both so adorable it's such it's still such an affecting story and you know among the other casts too like melissa mccarthy is incredible as ursula and i know that was another casting choice that some were kind of you know up in the air about but she nails it and you know i i will get into Hobby here for them because i know someone on this podcast was not the biggest fan of him um but i thought he was fine too i thought you know probably not on the same league as the other three but all, all in all like the cast was great and you know, the music's still the music and Helly's voice is everything. I had a really good time with it. I don't think it's a perfect movie, but I think it's a great great experience and it was it's definitely near the top of these live action remakes for me.
2: You know, you say league and all I could think of is maybe like twenty thousand leagues removed oh. or something along those lines. But yes, uh, okay. My thoughts on this movie. Uh, not as mixed as Destiny, but definitely not as positive as you, Zoe. I-, I was quite surprised by this. I went into this expecting to hate it because my feelings towards the Disney live-action remakes have definitely been more negative than positive over the years. Zoe, I am fascinated to know what it is about these that keep- continues to work for you. But maybe that's for another conversation. Uh, specifically highlighting this film... There was an approach that Rob Marshall took to the material that I really appreciated, which was, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think that's why, ultimately, this worked for me. Because the story that we're all familiar with from the 1989 animated film is pretty much fully intact. There's nothing really changed, and there's nothing taken away per se there's only add-ons and that does make the runtime get to 135 minutes but I'll tell you just like the pacing of the animated film it zips on by pretty fast I was actually just re-watching the ending to the animated film the other day so much happens within five minutes in that movie it's insane how quickly it moves So, here, you definitely get a bit of that, and I definitely agree that, oh, man, everything that's below the ocean water, oh, man, pun intended, under the sea, it doesn't look good. Maybe that's because we've all watched Avatar The Way of Water a bunch of times recently. I don't know, but I know know very little about visual effects. Very little. But I do know when something is not right. And I know that my brain is telling me it doesn't look right. There are elements to these underwater sequences where I'm watching them and it looks like they're just floating through space. It doesn't look like they're actually underwater. And we can get more into that in a little bit here. Uh, More general thoughts. Predominantly like the cast with one or two exceptions. Which I'll get into in a little bit as well. On the whole... I liked it. I did like it. Because the story is there. The story works. And, Zoe, you hit the nail on the head. Halle Bailey is a massive star. She owns this movie. She is effortless in the way that she just exudes her charm, her grace, her comedic timing, her beauty... Everything about the way that she carries herself through this movie and embodies this role makes the movie what it is. And I think if you are down with what she's doing, you're going to be almost down with the movie. So with all that out of the way at first, let's talk about Hallie. Let's talk about some standout moments. What exactly worked for you uh, with her? I will say first and foremost, because I know we're all thinking it, that voice.
0: I, my theater, so I saw it at the premiere, uh, though, I guess it was technically, I think they're calling it the world premiere, but I saw it in Los Angeles at the premiere at the Dolby Theater, right? So, you know, you got all the celebrities in there, you got regular, you know, some regular folks in there as well. And, you know, of course, that pivotal moment that we're all on the edge of our seats for is part of your world, right? And then she hits that bridge, you know, like... Um, where she's like looking out, you know, at the world and, or her, you know, that little tunnel in her little cavern up, up at this, up at the land. And man, like, did you guys get straight up applause? Cause we got cheers and I've been hearing that some screenings have had some cheers. So I'm hoping it's not just mine.
2: Uh, I will say the New York crowd is very, very tough, especially because mine was a critic screening. There were no, public attendees whatsoever, so yeah, no, no applause, but I could imagine it, mm. I could see it if this was a full theater, definitely Mm. I could imagine there would have been a huge applause.
1: See, mine was a critic screening too, it was at the same time as yours, Destiny, I was just at the AMC Burbank (laughs) instead. Gotcha, Um, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) It's funny because there have, never if I'm in like a press room where there are like big reactions, but if I am in a theater and there's like a couple other like groups there i think you get that sometimes and automatically yeah after that song ended it just like there was like hesitant applause at first and then everybody joined in and it was just such a transcendent moment and she her rendition is just so new but also so familiar oh my god it was it was beautiful
2: now i i want to ask because I, i don't really have much familiarity here um i know that in between The animated film and this, we've had a Broadway adaptation. Do we know if anything from that, in terms of song renditions or any of the new songs that were added for this movie, carried over into this?
0: I have seen the Broadway one, and while I don't remember all the songs, I'm like 90% sure, maybe 98% sure, that all the music, like the new songs that were added, were added from. Lynn and Alan. I don't think they took anything from the Broadway. Okay. You know, I'll, I'll look that up, uh, right now, (laughs) just to double
2: check. No, no, no. For now, I, I, I believe what you're saying to be true, but the way that Hallie sings these songs, it has a Broadway quality to it. There, there is just such a range and vocal performance. And I want to be clear. Her performance is more than just her singing voice. But the singing voice is remarkable. I mean, it it really does bring the house down. And it's not just for part of your world. She has multiple moments throughout this movie where she gets to uh, flex that. And I guess, you know, coming off of that too, I think that the part that I was maybe, uh, I don't want to say surprised by, but I had this sudden realization moment of, oh, that's right. There's a sequence in this movie where she's going to have to, act non-verbally i wonder how she's gonna pull that off she did it remarkably
1: well (laughs) and that's like half the like i was waiting for that because i'm like obviously that hasn't really been in the ad campaign but it is like half the film Mm -hmm. and that that was the thing to me where i was like yes we all know she has the voice of a god like she's incredible (laughs) but That really proved, I think, how much of a natural star and actress she is. Because I think of the scene where um, her and Eric are, like, in that marketplace. Oh, my God. She is just, like, so herself. And every little reaction and action she does, it's so cute. It's so aerial. Like, I was just in awe. And, like, the way that her and Eric interact when she can't speak. Oh, my God. It's gorgeous. She is just so embodied in this character the entire time and just gets it. And that's what I, that's like. Anybody who doesn't think she's like up to playing Ariel or like the right Ariel, like, shut up, like watch the movie because <laughs> it's like, the furthest thing from the truth. Completely agree.
0: I'm crying in the club right now because yes, I really loved, especially the silence. Cause it's like, how are they going to do that? You know? And then they give her moments to talk when, or to sing when she's not, you know, when she's not talking And and yeah, Zoe, I agree. Like that marketplace, I think in the kingdom, her, her, um, her arrival to the kingdom kind of sold me on like, this is like, this is Ariel. Like, this is actually Ariel. Like, this is the curious, kind of silly, right? Kind of goofy girl that is from the animation, but like just brought to life and expanded a little bit more. Um, And I just think, yeah, she's super cute. She like eats a flower, right? She has this little moment with the hat that's adorable. Um, Her stealing away with Eric in the boat and then coming back home from that. I really lo- I'm sure we're going to get into kiss the girl. So I don't want to say uh too much, but yeah, I agree. I think she had such great comedic timing, which is something that Matt said at the beginning of this episode. And I didn't expect that from her. I don't t- know too much about her. Cause I'm, you know, I'm 30. I'm like, I'm, 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 you know, halfway to the urn. And um, so for me, I didn't have any expectations about her going in. I was like, Oh, she's this singer for like, not my generation at all, but I know her sister is an actress and I've watched a couple of things with her sister. But uh, she surprised the heck out of me. I was like, wow, she can act like this is so when you when you are able to emote with your face like that is not an easy skill. And she was so able to do that with like just it seemed like ease, truly. But anyway, that's enough of me gushing about Miss Hallie.
2: Now, judging by Sebastian's accent in this movie, because for like the first five minutes, I was wondering what accent is that? (laughs) Um, I, I kind of put two and two together quickly that uh, this is set in the, Car- the Caribbean, right?
1: I think so. I think that's I like guess. what... Yeah, like I, it was kind of like this, I feel like amalgamation of different cultures and like kind of unspecified, but I, that was the vibe I got, especially with like the people who make up this culture and like the queen and everything. I think that, right. that was kind of the intention, but... And,
2: and And it's not meant to be, I don't think, like any kind of... What do I? How do I say it? like historically accurate or anything like that? But I was trying to get a, a a like this idea of well the above water kingdom that Eric inhabits. Where is that set? And like during what historical time period? And what is the context? But the movie's not really ever about that, which I kind of appreciated. But what the film really is about, and something that I think this live action remake really hits uh, more so than the animated version that came before it is, you know, this is an interracial relationship here between Eric and Ariel, and they have lines in the movie about, oh, well, you know, you come from two different worlds and things like that, but I really think that that is meant to be more so of the subtext that we're supposed to be maybe taken away a little bit more so from this latest version, Um, and with that said, I think the relationship between Eric and Ariel and how they do come from two different worlds, but yet they are bond they bond together just through uh that classic magic of love at first sight, but also too these cute moments sprinkled throughout. Um, like you like the two of you said. Um I really felt that the romance in this movie worked thematically and also the chemistry between What's his name again? Uh, Jonah Howard King. He's got a long three-worded name there. Jonah Howard (laughs) King. Okay, he's he's a king, all right. Even though he's a prince in this movie, Uh, I thought that you know I was expecting him to be kind of silly and a you know I I always expect roles like this for the actors to be quote unquote bland and boring, but no, um, I thought that and maybe because Hallie's just so good, but. I was very, very surprised by how much I was swept up by the romance between these two in this movie.
1: Um, I was going to say I also really loved the added dimensions to this relationship because, you know, I, I love fairy tales and princesses when I was growing up. I dreamed of Prince Charming and Love at First Sight, which is still there. But I think what this this adaptation does, I, I like bringing together, they're like adventurous, inquisitive spirits. Like when he has that collection of all his things and they're bonding over that. I was like, that is so cute. That's like yes. why they're into each other. Like I was like, I, I love seeing them connect over that because I think it makes the relationship so much richer. And like you said too, the we already knew like, oh, it's a man and a mermaid. But with the interracial aspect of this film specifically, I think that's very strong subtext and it's never like thrown in our face. It's just very natural. And I thought that was honestly a a major through line throughout the film, because if you think about like Ursula taking her voice and then this white when she comes back later, it's like a white woman with black woman's voice. I was like, you know, (laughs) know, and it's that's never like drawn attention to, but it's there. And I think that, you know, actually makes the film this film stand on its own and have something new to say. But yeah, like it, it really is like so much on the actors, because I think Hallie and Jonah just have this natural spark like I think of the scene on the boat when she's trying to tell him what her name is and that was Mm. so cute the the way she's like dragging his lips down it's just like such a cute little effortless thing you know so chast but so romantic at the same time and but I really do think it's picked there in the script too of just adding these little wrinkles that make it a little bit more complex a little bit more realistic and that is I think a reason that this adaptation is a lot stronger than a lot of the other live action remakes is it feels like the familiar story we know, but there's fresh additions.
2: And I'm not about to be one of those people that's going to sit here and say, oh, it's so woke and come off like that. Absolutely not. But I will say that Disney has definitely been a victim in the past with some of these live action remakes of maybe being a little too forward and shoving stuff down our throats. Here, it plays, like you said, Zoe, organically. It doesn't feel forced like they were trying to check off a box and trying to satisfy people. This felt completely natural in keeping with the themes of the story. It didn't have to change the story to accommodate any of this, uh, any of these changes. It all just fit and they pulled it off through the performances Through the subtle uh, moments within the romance, this was the stuff that I truly loved within the movie. Like, this was the stuff that worked for me the best overall, uh, but mostly because they didn't have to go back to the original story that we're all so familiar with and treat as, like, sacred text almost, and change stuff around to try best to appeal to as many people as possible to bring in, you know, the billion dollars that I'm sure they're going to get anyway.
0: (laughs) I agree. I think one of my favorite things about this movie is that romance, is their romance. It's so, even though, you know, it's in the context of fantasy, it feels so grounded. Something that really kind of piqued my interest the most, one I think is the sea god aspect. They throw, they keep throwing in the sea gods. They give Eric's mom, Queen Selina, she keeps saying like, The sea gods, you know, have been kind of threatening us like low key and, you know, they've tried to kill you. Like, don't push your luck. Right. So it establishes instead of the race thing, it establishes that it's actually not race. It's not about that. Like these two, you know, you come from different worlds. It's literally like, no, like there's a mythical aspect to this. She's from somewhere completely like, you know, different. So that I think that kind of helps, like, separate you from, like, okay, we don't really know what time this is. It's probably the 1600s. What are all these Black people doing, you know, <laughs> mixing with, you know, these white people and all this stuff? So I think that it helps that they establish it more as, like, a mythical thing um, pretty early on. But then I really liked how they, this in this portrayal of Eric, I really like how they make it about the siren song a little bit if that makes sense, like he's obsessed, right? He's obsessed as soon as he hears her. Eric was obsessed in the animated one too, but this really was flushed out. I feel like a lot better. Like he was like, no, like send out the search party. I want everybody to, you know, find, try to find this girl who I can't find. And then it was kind of like, he got so frenzied by it that by the time you reach the end of the story, I thought it was a really good connect that he couldn't even really believe what was true and what was not true. And then his mom has to reinforce, like, no, like what you're seeing is true. And like, he's just so like into her uh, at first from like, you know, the dangers of the siren song or whatever, like they kind of bring that in there. But then he realizes like, no, this is actually love is what I'm feeling. Like, you know, you you really feel that conflict, I feel like. In this one that it didn't come across, you know, in the animated because they didn't have time. So on top of that, you also do get, you know, like Zoe and Matt that you both mentioned in the library or his little treasure room or whatever we want to call it. I thought that was brilliant. They complement each other. He's learning stuff from her about like yeah. fossils, right? With the she finds a whole ruby for him and he's teaching her about maps and charts that they've made that she can probably fill in. You know what I mean? So, I just really loved them working together in that way. They tried to do that in Beauty and the Beast a little bit with, like, giving Beast that, you know, he was like, I love to read or whatever, right? And that's why he has that big library. Mm-hmm. But it, it just, it was kind of flat. So, anyway, I really loved his portrayal of Eric as this, like, really daring, curious dude um, looking for, you know, his soulmate and willing to basically go to the ends of the earth, even if it drives him crazy a little bit. But, Yeah. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's really, I just really obsessed.
2: Sorry, right, let me let me bring you back to on course here on the sea. What did you all think of the uh, added songs for Ariel and Eric? Uh, Eric has I believe the song is called Uncharted Waters. I think it's the title of it. Um, And Ariel's uh, song. Uh, I actually don't know the name of it off the top of my head, but it was the one that had to do with her um, getting her. Uh, legs and being on dry land and there was mentions of gravity. Maybe that had something to do with the title. I don't know, but I'm sure you all can piece together what I'm saying here. What did you guys think of these new songs?
1: I'm always skeptical of the new songs they introduce um, <clears throat> into these Disney live action remakes because I feel like a lot of times it's like blatant, like let's get an Oscar nomination. <laughs> um, but I, I actually liked them for the most part. I think you can definitely tell they're the original songs. They're not as, you know, instantly iconic or memorable as the classics um but i thought i thought jonah howard king did a great job with his i thought it was an interesting it allowed us more interesting insight i think into eric as a character and kind of fleshed him out a little bit more like we were just discussing with their relationship um and he looked very attractive doing it um and then with hallie um i loved that song like you said earlier destiny the song that puts us in her like mind as she can't speak i loved that scene where like everything fades away and like you see her singing as she can not actually like vocalize, um, in real life. And I know a lot of people are going to dunk on the Aquafina rap, but it was kind of a bop. Like it was like, to be honest, like I liked that scene. Um, I'm not going to say it's like the height of music, but it, it was fun. I had a good time with it. Like if you don't take it too seriously, I think you will too.
2: I'm pretty sure that's the one where Daveed Diggs does an accompaniment of rap, if I remember correctly.
1: Yes. Yes. Scuttle.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, for that moment alone, it was pretty worth it, I think, in my opinion. But at the same time, yeah, I wasn't too thrilled with the scuttlebutt. Um, I liked that they put Eric on the ship for his song, and I like what the song was ultimately about. I even liked that there's even maybe some added subtext there that you could kind of like do a little bit of an in joke, haha moment of, of like, oh, our... Our prince here is about to explore some uncharted waters with women, is he? You know, I don't know. Um, Sorry, this is where my mind goes. Um, But I thought the music and I thought the arrangement and his uh, vocal delivery, even though he's got a good voice, something that that song could have been worked on. I think a little bit more just in terms of its melody and what they were going for as a a song, as a song, you know, Yeah. Um, her song, Halle Bailey's. I just got the title here. It's called for the first time. Mm. Uh, They forgot to say in forever uh, at the end there. (laughs) Uh, I I actually really like this song. I really, really like that. um, She's singing it and we see her nonverbal self uh, acting out what the uh, voice is uh, singing And then we do have a moment where we do see her visually actually singing it, um, detached, if you will, from the real world. I I thought it was a pretty clever concept overall. Um, I can't tell you at all what the song sounded like. All I know is that in the moment I was thinking, oh, this is clever. This is smart. This is a good way to express how she's feeling given these new circumstances right now. I didn't feel like it dragged the movie down, but I wouldn't say that it added – too much to it either at the same time. It was kind of a wash for me.
0: Yeah, honestly, we gotta pour one out for my song from the animated film Les Poissons. Okay, Les Poissons, Les Poissons, he, 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 ho, ho, ho. Okay, like there <laughs> that song took away from Les Poissons. Okay, that's what it did. That's what it low-key did. But um, no, I absolutely love uh for the first time because the of the reasons you mentioned cuz she's so wide-eyed she's learning everything really fast paced how life works she mentions finally you know getting burned by a fire which is so funny cuz she's not upset she doesn't really react in that scene she just kind of sings it she's like oh i've been burned for the first time or whatever like you know so that that pulls it back to that lyric and part of your world and i thought that that was you know perfect um prince eric's song so i'm going to read a lyric that that caught my eye that i wrote down in the theater time may change the shoreline but it will not change me what does that mean i think the lyrics <laughs> i think the lyrics for that uncharted waters needed to absolutely be like i sorted said out. D-
2: definitely some work was needed there i think yeah, in, yeah. on that song yeah
0: Um, I thought it was funny. You mentioned the ship. And I was like, this, I feel like montages don't work in live action films. Like animation, it flows better because it's like, oh, sure, they can be wherever. But I'm like, when did he have time to get on the ship? And why is he walking on the beach? What is happening? He's not supposed to be on the ship. His mom just said he couldn't go on ships. He's sick, right? So I was just like, "What is happening?" You know. So, um, but I just thought it was all cheesy as hell.
2: Sometimes with those, I think they're just trying to recapture the feeling of those animated films. Of course. I think that's really what it comes down to. But I, I definitely agree. There's, there's a lot of moments in this movie where I was thinking, "Oh, but how did we wait?" And all right, Matt, just let it go. Just let it go. Right. You know just just keep swimming.
0: (laughs) It just keeps on note oh god um, but yeah his song is really great because it adds a lot of context to what he's feeling how he feels trapped also we didn't mention Eric is adopted in this story yeah um, which is also another thing because it's like where did he come from oh yeah he comes from like far away so that adds to his allure uh, should we
2: say I mean that in the uh, six pack abs certainly help
0: oh definitely
2: <laughs> there was like one moment in this movie where his shirt was like all ripped up and he's in the water and I was like oh my god Ah, oh, Jay did
1: that. I was gonna say I was like Rob Marshall. Thank you for all the shots of him in a soaking white. Tea. I was like, that is. I'm pretty sure Rob Marshall is gay too. And I was like, you know, he is making. Yeah, he's making this for the right audience.
2: Um. Okay. Other songs here. We talked about "Part of Your World." Uh, let's talk about "Under the Sea." What did we think of this? Uh, you know, I, I, I mentioned earlier, I think that pretty much all the visual effects work under the sea uh, is pretty choppy, pretty rough. Doesn't work for me. Uh, the animated characters, you know, Sebastian, he definitely had a little bit more life in his character animation than Flounder. But I thought V Diggs and Jacob Tremblay were well cast uh, in terms of their vocal performances and what they brought to the characters, I just wish that I don't know. Like this whole photorealism thing with the animals, uh, the Lion King suffered from a very similar problem here. But I will say, I got the feeling that Sebastian was faring a little bit better compared to Scuttle and Flounder. Would you would you Would you two agree?
1: Yeah, and like I, I really think so much of it is. David's performance because I I think the thing with with Sebastian that did throw me off initially is they're trying to split the difference between this hyper realism and fantasy because like Flanders is a fish scuttles is a bird you know and with with Sebastian they had those like very expressive eyes and that threw me off of at first because I was like I feel like he should just be a crab <laughs> like because you're trying you're like throwing this on there and it's like they're kind of creepy initially but the his voice performance is so good and you know just like that he gets the best songs that. I think that it, it, you know, it. I'm able to overlook it eventually and his character is still so, so fun.
2: I mean, given the placement of the eyes, what's really funny to me is that every single, like, still frame, every shot of him in this movie, he always looks like he's doing an eye roll. <laughs>
1: yeah, I can see that, yeah.
2: <laughs> it added to the humor. I mean, you know, Sebastian gets a couple of one-liners that got, I think, probably the most laughs of the movie from my audience. Same. yeah. I mean, I think – what was the part that I wrote down that everybody laughed at the most? Oh, uh, when he was like cheering her on and he was like saying something to the effect of like, hey, girl, yeah, I see you. You get it, girl, or something like that. The audience was dying during that moment.
1: Oh. There were, yeah, there were a lot of moments, I think, around Kiss the Girl, which were hy- hysterical. And I really like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that scene you're talking about, Matt, is uh, when they are, uh, she's, Ariel's trying to teach him how to blow the conch.
1: Oh, yes. And yes. so they lips are
0: puckering together, right? Yes. <laughs> so he's like, you go, gal. Like, yep. And he's like, hey, gal. Um, Definitely a lot of laughs there. Uh, Zoe, you were just about to mention Kiss the Girl. Definitely a lot of laughs when Sebastian came from out under his hat and started singing. Yes!
2: Right? (laughs) Yes. And Kiss the Girl, for the record, too, I want to say, because this has gotten so much criticism online. I think that the video that has been circulating on social media that everyone's been criticizing for it being too dark I really think that that's got to be a compression thing online because seeing it in a theater, it was not like, yeah, it takes place at night, but it wasn't dark to the point that I couldn't see what was actually happening. Did did you two have that issue? I don't know. Maybe it's a projector thing for some people, too. You know, I mean, I'm not going to rule that out for some people's screenings if they go to a bad theater to see this.
1: Yeah no I said the same thing afterwards like I I do agree with you on some of the earliest um, underwater scenes maybe being a little wonky especially like with her sisters I noticed it but above the land like I actually thought like that scene in particular like the bioluminescence that everybody wanted i was like i thought that popped a lot more i thought the lighting was a lot sharper just when you're actually in a projected venue and not watching it on like an iphone 12 you know it's a much different situation and (laughs) yeah yeah and i thought the the movement was a little more fluid i i really think that i i clips half the time are just such shit because you're taking like literally this music it's one like 30 seconds from this entire musical sequence and like it doesn't really have a concrete start and end it's just so it's like very hard to get the rhythm and like the paint and just like feel like you're actually in it so I think it that that's just victim of like poor advertising
2: now I'm trying to figure out why do the underwater sequences especially like in the first 20 minutes and yeah even under sea which is definitely the brightest spot of underwater um, you know, a uh, CGI that we get in this movie with all the different creatures, and obviously it's got that Academy Award-winning musical bop number that's going alongside it. So you're meant to be excited and energized watching it. <sighs> what, what, what were you able to deduce from what was not working with the underwater CGI? Because for me, and I could be wrong about this from a actual scientific standpoint, but I noticed a, a real lack of bubbles I was like, where's the movement? You know, that they're they're moving their arms and kicking their fins and everything. And, and, and I'm not getting a sense of movement under the water.
1: I, I think the problem is when you're shooting um, dry for wet, as like James Wan said on Aquaman, because like, I sense some of that similar stuff when I was watching that movie. Whereas like we talked about earlier with Avatar, they shot in the water, which is incredibly more intense and expensive Um and obviously yields a lot better results but i think anytime you're trying to shoot obviously just in like a dry environment and then like replicate the water you're gonna have some of that movement that feels a little unrealistic and like you said the lack of bubbles because they're not actually in this space which obviously not every movie can do unless you're james cameron so for me i was like i, I kind of gave it a little more leeway because next i didn't think it looked like atrocious i just think not everybody's a madman like him. Um, so I was holding it to a different standard.
2: Maybe. Yeah. I mean, when King try rolls up and he's got like that fish cape, I was like, Ooh, I was like, get rid of that thing. That thing uh, that does not look good.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> we, we need to talk about Javier Bardem for a brief moment. Yeah. I, let's. <laughs> uh, I mean, and to go back uh, under the sea, there's some weird underwater CGI, yes. Um, but I just kind of like, all right, whatever. I think James Cameron just hogged up the CGI crew for, <laughs> you know, for like three years. So I have forgiven many a thing, uh, many a Disney film, Marvel film for their CGI because I just think James Cameron really had the girl shook.
2: And I, and I want to be very clear too about the CGI uh, and the underwater stuff. Yeah. Most of my... Uh, Forgiveness for this movie stems from the fact that I think the above water stuff, uh, the practical effects, this, you know, the practical sets, mm. the use of real water. Like when, when they're on the ship, I could tell that that was a real ship on a set in a tank with actual water being thrown over the edges. And, you know, it didn't look like CGI water too much at times. And then they had the ship on fire during the wreckage. And I was like, holy shit, that's real fire. Because I'm so used to seeing CGI fire nowadays. And it just added more to those above water sequences where it's like, I I just don't understand why people haven't been able to figure out yet that the more practical that you could do safely within camera, it looks a million times better than anything else. Yeah. So I'm glad that they at least did that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) No, very true. Um, I didn't even notice that, you know, like, so that's good that, you know, you have those good eyes. I knew when something wasn't looking right, but I I could hardly I mean, unless it was like a big set or like, you know, some barrels or some wood drifting in the water. I was like, oh, okay, that's real. But like, that's a really good point about that fire.
2: Like even stuff when they're in the wide open sea, I'm like, yeah, of course, the backgrounds are extended and that's all CGI. But I'm like, they look like they shot this in a tank. And this looks pretty photoreal to me, unless if the CGI was just so freaking good. I, I, but yeah. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: Javier Bardem. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, no. Javier Bardem. C-Zaddy. C-Zaddy. Um, I I feel like he was phoning it in, but I think that also part of these changes, which I'm guessing we'll probably get into, I want to talk about Kiss the Girl a little bit too, but yeah, Javier Bardem is one of the changes from the King Triton of the animation to the King Triton of the of the live action. He's a little more muted. Yes. Yes, King Triton in the animated film is loud as hell. And he is, I, I guess in terms of, the, of today, he would be considered abusive, right? Because he is so aggressive with his anger towards humans and his treatment towards Ariel for liking humans. So part of me can understand why they did what they did and the choices that they made. But he was so muted to me that I'm like, are you even really angry, bro? Like, do you even lift, bro? (laughs) You know.
2: Now, now, here's what I will say in regards to all of this. Mm -hmm. I did not like the direction they took with this character in terms of it being a more muted performance. I especially felt during Trident's big scene where he's supposed to destroy all of Ariel's Uh, prized possessions. Like Mm -hmm. I I was very shocked at the way Javier was playing it versus what I was at least imagining in my mind how he was going to play it. Um, But then, you know what? I got to give them credit for this. The final moment that he shares with Ariel at the very end of the movie, that was a really, really well done moment. And I actually felt like that moment was, was earned. Yeah. And it did make up for a lot. That came before it for me.
1: Yeah, like, I I didn't hate, I didn't, I definitely think, compared to, like, the trio of really great performances in this from Halle and Jonah and Melissa, that he is just definitely, like, someone else that I, like, kind of phoning it in a little bit more, which I, I hesitate to fully call it that, because I do think that's just kind of the portrayal this adaptation is going with, making him a bit more, like, you know, regal king and stuff, and more, like, flat emotionally, um, but I, I do sense the inconsistencies, but I really do. I think the through line of, you know, his relationship with Ariel and his care really came to the forefront, um, in that final scene. And that was a beautiful mm-hmm. moment to end on. I was, I was wondering where they would find, where they would cut the movie and end it. And that was just, I think a perfect spot.
2: I just, I think ultimately at the end of the day, I've never been down with this casting. And I kept thinking throughout the film, like, what if it was Idris Elba? You know, that that that's what kept going through my mind the entire time. Uh but mm. <laughs> like I said, the final couple of moments, he nailed it. She nailed it. It worked. It definitely sent the audience out, I think, on a high. And that's why I think you're seeing, um, granted, reviews have not officially dropped yet. By the time this podcast drops, reviews will be out. But Uh, We only got the reactions so far. I do think that people who maybe were on the verge of not liking this movie uh, felt slightly won over by the end and maybe couldn't understand fully why. And I think a large reason for that is because the film does nail uh, the emotion of Ariel's connection with all these uh, characters, her friends, her father, Eric. And that's what counts in the end.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I, I thought even um, try. I, I mean, yeah, that movie. That excuse me, that moment at the end there is very beautiful. I thought he was going to show up to their little um, going away party uh, with some with some sea legs, with some with some land legs. I should say. I was <laughs> like, oh, they're going to have because they also didn't like you know a lot of people that I talked to. You know, we were trying to figure out like oh did they zaddy him up a little bit you know what I mean but that wasn't obviously the point of the movie but they zaddied you know Prince Eric up but you know so I was like oh you know he should he he does what he's supposed to do and I think by the end yeah we are won over by that relationship
2: I think even more so in the animation I do have a question about Trident in this uh version And, and tell me if this was something that always existed and I've just forever missed it uh, Trident and Ursula are brother and sister?
0: Yes, it's something they don't go into until the second Little Mermaid very much because you'll find out that Morgana is a, another one of his sisters who's like, she takes over after Ursula passes away. So they don't really get into it that much in, in the animated film, but they really uh peppered it up here.
2: Yeah, I, I've never seen Little Mermaid too, So this took me by slight surprise. And I was actually a little bummed that it was dropped so late in the movie because I thought maybe there could have been some deeper exploration there between uh their relationship and why Ursula resented him so much. And I felt like some of that just felt yeah. a little slightly underdeveloped. Yeah,
1: like yeah, let's,
0: let's get into the differences here or the add ons here. Since yeah. there's not many differences, yeah, let's let's do that. Do you want to start with that
2: one or yeah go ahead, Zo.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I know she she mentioned it, like, I think right away, but it was kind of like in a way that could be offhanded, too, so we didn't. And I, I do. I'm also a huge Little Mermaid, too, Stan. I loved everything from the franchise when I was a little kid, so I knew. I, like, kind of knew that in the back of my head, and I was like, oh, I had forgotten, because it isn't something I don't think in the original, original film. Um, And I do think, yeah, like, it, it, it adds, like, a little bit of a wrinkle to the relationship and I think makes some of the conflict a little more compelling, but they definitely didn't go as far with it as they could. um, And I think so. But I mean, they do so much else good with the added time that I wasn't too disappointed.
2: I mean, in terms of changes, you know, Melissa McCarthy really just does an impression of Pat Carroll throughout this entire movie and her performance as Ursula from the animated film. And that's not necessarily a bad thing at all. I actually really did not mind that this was, for for me, and maybe the two of you have a different interpretation here, but this felt very much like the animated version of the character literally come to life. Um, it didn't seem like there was much variation in terms of singing style, speaking style, the visual presentation of the character. Um, and I just, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I think if you deviate too much you then do risk losing uh the devoted fandom who just love this material so so much and do want you know it's like at the end of the day we we kind of just do want to see what we previously loved and just see it just brought to the screen in this live action setting we don't need you to play around with it Javier bardem <laughs> like, we don't need we don't need it to be different and I think Melissa McCarthy what she's doing here I think it completely worked I, she she ate in this movie
0: <laughs> she, not she ate <laughs> um, she was fantastic. I loved her performance as Ursula. I feel like though with the added context that they that they pushed up a little bit to the top here about her being related to Triton I do feel like we needed a little more humanization since Disney has also in these live action, um, remakes have been pushing like the humanization of some of these characters and trying to understand them a little bit more. Yeah. I was actually kind of surprised with how they dealt with her at the end. Like, yes, she does die in the animated film. Here she dies too, but it's kind of like that's the end of it. And I was like, oh, maybe she'll go to like sea jail and like we'll find out, you know, maybe a little bit about her and we'll find out like what was the contention between Triton and Ursula, but they didn't go that route.
2: No, they kept it exactly the same. She gets impaled by a ship. And the only difference is that instead of Eric being the one steering the ship and impaling her, Mm -hmm. it's Ariel this time, which was exactly a change that doesn't, Changed the story too much, but it's a slight, slight change that I think actually was an improvement here uh, because it is her story. It's not Eric's story, and mm-hmm. we don't need to see Eric saving Ariel in that manner in 2023.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I love in like a romance scene like the woman saving the man she loves too because he had come after her. He'd saved her. I thought I thought the give and take in that scene was really sweet. And yeah. Like it, yeah, she is the one conquering this woman who tried, who literally, stole her voice, you know, and tried to killed her father. Yeah, like so. It it was a great end, I think, to Ariel's arc, and that was another change, like you're saying. Like, I'm sure some asshole on Twitter was gonna like try to get a hit tweet out of this and be like, Disney <laughs> woke, blah blah blah. And I'm gonna be like, okay, like stop tweeting from your mother's basement, you like 40 year old insult. But anyway,
2: <laughs> now, now yeah. Well, yeah. hold up. Now I gotta ask. <laughs> I gotta ask, of all the egregious changes that they could have made in this movie, I am very disappointed that I did not see some Ursula seaweed creature monsters. Okay? I don't even know if they're meant to be seaweed. I don't know oh. what they are. Those decrepit mm-hmm. little freaking things. And yeah. instead, she kills Trident in this movie. And I'm like, oh, I wanted to see Javier Pardem shriveled up. And <laughs> like, I don't even know what they would have done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think I thought about that too. I was like, "Where's my little, where's my little creepy seaweed dudes?" And uh, I think that they were trying to do that with, like, when she's in the passageway and like those things. Gra- it turned into like a horror movie for yeah. like five seconds. Okay. I was like, "Oh, but those are not them." Yeah, I miss. I pu- shout out to them. Okay, pour one out for the seaweed, uh, <laughs> little doodads. Late Poisson and the seaweed.
2: I- I'm totally like not being serious. I did think that the, the like the minute she quote unquote killed trident in this movie took me genuinely by surprise I
1: was because yes.
2: you know obviously i was thinking she was going to turn him into the creature and so and you know i knew that Triton was probably going to find a way to come back to remove of the magic of the Triton but at the same time uh yeah there was a you know brief moment in this movie where i was like oh 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 wow o- okay cool yeah I- a little taken aback but you know in a good way
1: yeah, it really did catch me off guard. I like, I actually thought like he was killed because I, I was like, oh, like we're going in a dark direction, and I thought it would like add to the gravity of the situation. Ariel's mistake, mm-hmm. and it did, it did still, even though he does come back. But yeah, that was a that was a very effective. Like that's the thing is, there's so much that's obviously familiar with this movie, but they find all these little ways to make it fresh at the same time and kind of keep you on the edge of your seat, you know. And so I really liked that. I was like, wow, that added a lot more intensity to this Mm
0: climax i love that as well um one of the things that um speaking of like you know ariel taking over it doesn't change too much about the movie and all that something that i'm still trying to wrap my mind around and i want to ask you two is the kiss the girl scenes yes um specifically the change to ariel remembering versus her not remembering yeah i I don't hate any of the additions or changes, so I want to preface that first. However, I don't see why this one needed to happen. I'm I I you get what I'm saying? Like I, what does it add to the movie that she can't remember the kiss part, the, and they and she has to constantly be remembered?
2: I don't think it adds anything to it thematically, really, like in terms of any like deeper meaning or layer to the movie. But I do think that if you take the original concept of you have three days to kiss this boy, if we're watching a live action version of that play out before our eyes and we're obviously a smart audience, we're all going to just be thinking, yo, girl, just make googly eyes at him. He'll come over. You plan a little one on him and boom, it's done. It's over. You know what I mean? It's like she could just kiss him. She could just do it, but instead, Ursula, thinking that she's played a nasty underhanded trick on her to uh, throw in this little caveat, now it has to happen organically, and the deck is now stacked up against Ariel as a result of that, um, Even and it's something that, for me, I felt like they were just trying to kind of write their way out of a corner, because too many people, I think, would have watched this movie and been like, well, just kiss him then.
1: I, I do think though she because they emphasize as in like every fairytale that has to be the quote unquote true love's kiss so for me that's why I was like I didn't think I agree with Destiny like I didn't think they needed that added wrinkle because you know you can't just like walk up to you know kiss him like it had to have, I think they needed that connection for it to work anyway um and it, it kind of felt it, it didn't like ruin the movie for me Or it wasn't like a huge thing but it was like OK, well, now it's like right. the cards are so stacked against her, like she literally can't. Remember. I think it gave the animal characters a little bit more to do, which also was a reason they incorporated it. Um, but it was kind of a weird thing through just here. I was like, well, no, you're like setting her up to fail. <laughs> no, I forgot yet. about the
2: true love's kiss thing. You're right about that. So, you know, maybe in the end, it's like one of those things where it didn't add. But I also don't think that if you take it away, it changes anything either. So it's like it's just there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like one of those things, like an eyebrow. I was like, oh, okay. Like, so my thing was like, okay, maybe it adds a little bit of context to Kiss the Girl. Like, so it's like them, the animals, meaning, you know, Sebastian and, and the crew, Flounder and uh, Scuttle, like them being more organically being able to sing the song. You know what I mean? Like, so because they have to, like, remember, or they have to, you know, ba- yeah, basically remember for her. Um, and, the, and so I'm like, okay, maybe it adds a little bit more context to like why that song exists or something like that. And then I was like, Oh yeah, it is a little funny, but um, like that situation's a little funny, but I'm just like, Oh, that's interesting. And then you get the change in the bridge for um, poor unfortunate souls. Like I understand. Okay. They got rid of the body language, you know, that, that whole, that whole line is gone, the whole thing. But then you get the, uh, you, if you want to cross a bridge, my sweet, you got to pay the toll. So they get rid of, of that like bridge for like scales and blood or something. So I just thought that was like an interesting change. So I was like, oh, okay. They changed a little bit of the lyrics um, here. And so I'm just kind of like, that's what, those are the things like, I, I'm not trying to nitpick the movie. I'm just like, oh, these are like some little eyebrow razors here. Like what was the, you know, what was the context there? Like what was the change here for? Like, you know, what does it really add to the story or take away? But I mean, truly nothing, you know, <laughs> it's just like, Here's a cool
2: bit. Yeah, that's the thing is that like there were changes, but the thing that for me that was most important was that the actual like core of the story didn't change. The story right. is still the story. Yeah, there are these little things here and there to try and modernize it, right? Try to make it yeah. uh, more politically correct. God, I'm sorry. It's true though. It is true that like they are trying to do that, right? Um, but But I didn't feel it. I didn't feel it as much. Like, I didn't feel like they were forcing it on, like, really hitting me over the head no. with it in this one. Correct. And also, too, to your point about the Ursula, poor unfortunate souls uh, part, I'm just glad that they kept the part where she says, Flotsam, Jetsam, now I've got our boys. The boss is on a roll. <laughs> I was like, oh, yes, let's go. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Melissa <laughs> McCarthy is eating. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she is eating. Um, <laughs> I think um, let's talk a little bit about her zombie appearance too at the end. We did talk about the end of the movie uh, a little bit, but like her CGI, I'm hearing mixed. I actually didn't mind the CGI of the final battle. She looks scary as hell. Sure, you couldn't really see it, but I'm hearing some mixed on that. So, what did you guys think of how she looks? You know?
2: Uh, what sold it for me was her reaction to Flotsam and Jetsam. Uh, being vaporized, Melissa McCarthy really sold the anger of that mm-hmm. moment, and then the mm-hmm. build up with the, like this black smoke coming around, like it, it held on that moment a little bit longer than the animated film did. So when she gets big, you could feel the rage that's driving that moment, and to me, it made it feel all the more epic. I actually thought the climax of this movie was pretty freaking spectacular, just in terms of the scale and the size of it all. I, d- I didn't get really a, a good chance to pay attention to the visual effects work that was being done on McCarthy. I was more so paying attention to the water and how they were doing, Um, you know, the actors. It, it, was, it in, was it in CGI water, practical water? But that's like that's where my mind goes because I'm looking at Melissa McCarthy and I'm just thinking, oh, that's all CGI. Like like I, my brain doesn't even care. Um, So I don't know. Zoe, what about you? How did it feel for you?
1: I loved it. I, I, and I was kind of worried because, you know, it, it works so well in the animated movie because it's a fantastical animated movie, you know? And I was like, Oh my gosh, what's like, you know, this huge Melissa McCarthy going to look like. And I was like, the, I, I, I agree with Destiny. Like I thought she was really scary. I felt like I liked how she was kind of shrouded in the shadows, but you could sense the scale of her. And like you said, Matt, like the anger that drove her to this size. And I really, I really thought the climax was incredibly well done and it, you know, hearken back to what we know from the animated film, but made it feel more epic and terrifying and thrilling. And yeah, I thought it was a really strong job and her just like booming voice over it all was so good.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, the only thing that uh it's like thinking back on it, there's like a couple of other, I, I hesitate to even call them like action set pieces, but they have like the scene with the shark and the ship early on. And that's where like, for me, I'm still trying to get acclimated to, the visual aesthetic of the movie and the CGI and it's not really working for me at that point. But by but by the time we get to the Ursula battle, I'm so invested in the characters and in the story that all the other stuff that was bothering me initially has kind of been swept away by that point. It just goes back to what I say all the time. Story and character wins. If you're invested in the characters and the story is working, you can forgive A lot of technical shit. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And I think, too, that that scene also just looks so much better than the shark one you're talking about. Because, again, it's mostly above the land. You know, there's the water, but it's above the water. So it, like, definitely has, I think, a better visual look to it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I would agree with that.
1: I I was going to say, when we we were talking about changes, I was going to add something earlier about one of the changes that I, I, I just love about this adaptation in general um and it's a very big thing but it's just the casting of hallie bailey because we talked about this earlier with how like it kind of turns her and eric into this you know talking about interracial relationships um and i think that's just very true to the spirit of this story because there's always been that little anecdote about how hans christian anderson wrote this about his like gay lover who he could not be with and you know i think it's also there's been a huge trans allegory with the little mermaid and just like longing to be somebody different and be a part of a world and being kept out of that. And I think that making Ariel black and having that like be a part of this story without being like underlined or highlighted in like yellow highlighter, but just something that's so natural, but it's already kind of caked in there in the story and here we just made it a little bit more explicit, but not really, like you said, like, ma- you know, shining lights and being like, Oh, look how like woke we are. We're checking this box. It, it just felt, right. it felt so the little mermaid and so authentic. And I think that that goes not just to the performances of both her and Jonah, but, but the script. And I think that they handled that representation in, in such a wh- honest way and a way that was really heartfelt and real. And it, it like you said, like, I, I keep thinking of like LaFoe being gay and like Beauty and the Beast and how like, you know, that did not feel authentic and included at all. And this was, this was the movie. And I really, I just like seeing this version of The Little Mermaid. And I think that it makes a lot of the themes that have always been there just stand out so much more.
2: Beautifully said, Zoe. Beautifully said.
0: I agree. I think that it is a testament to the writing about how they were able to make this natural without it feeling forced. Again, something that is interesting to me that stood out is the dynamic again between, um, Eric having, you know, being been adopted, living on this primarily island nation with having a you know a black mother. Oh, you know? and I think that that also I think there's things that they did to ease us into it without it being like super overt, um, and. I think it just, it just, again, it helps just keep it grounded. It helps it feel natural. It would be a totally different movie if there were something like, we don't even get to see Eric's dad, right? We don't even get to see Ariel's mom, right? So those things just don't even really matter. Like who's their other, is their other half parent white? Is their other half parent black? You know, where are we? There's things that just really don't, come into focus because it doesn't need to. And I think that is a testament of the writing um, for sure. Just to add on to that, but beautifully said about how, you know, these different types of groups try to find their way, you know, in the best way that they can.
2: Absolutely. And if we're talking uh, one final change, I want to bring up here, maybe before we get to final thoughts, I want to give a shout out to Art Malik, who plays Grimsby in this movie. Eric's loyal butler character, who is an addition for this, well, no, not necessarily an addition for this movie, but definitely rounded out a lot more, given more to do, like, just so much, I don't know, like, added so much more warmth to this movie that I wasn't expecting. Really, really liked almost every single scene that he was featured in.
1: Yeah, I was like a big fan of his, too. And I kind of liked that he felt like Eric's father figure, especially with his connection with the queen, too. I was like, what's going on here? But I thought he was a character who could have just been like so one dimensional and just like there to be like a part of the plot and kind of push things along. But I really felt like there was, you know, a genuineness to his relationship with Eric and something that I couldn't really recall from the animated film. So I thought he did a great job. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Okay, so for final thoughts here, anything that we didn't mention that you want to bring up or something you want to reiterate, Destiny, handing it over to you first. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads,
0: but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. Yeah, I um I think again it was so interesting how they brought up like I'm truly I sit here amazed every time thinking about Prince Eric's evolution. Um he mentions, you know, like I want to go out and be exposed to different cultures basically. You know, and his mom's like, "Hey, knock it off," but he's so persistent. And I just think he has a really strong setup. I'm thinking about all the other Disney princess princes throughout time. <laughs> and none of them have been quite self-possessed as this iteration. And it goes back to casting. It goes back to what you both have been saying. It goes back to what Zoe has been saying. The casting of Hallie and Jonah really can make or break this film because part of it is obviously, you know, the romance. And if that didn't work, I mean, the film would be, you know, under the water, right. (laughs) It'd be deep into the ocean. And I just really, really love the things that they changed and updated about this film. I love the vibrancy of it that we didn't get to really see in the trailers. I love Melissa's acting. I love, you know, uh, Sebastian has some really great line deliveries. I think overall that this film could have failed tremendously, given that it was filmed during the height of the pandemic and was in production for so long. Um, and that James Cameron paid all the VFX people to not help them at all. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but <laughs> anything, um, i just i just think it it is something it it is a great start to the remakes i wish that you know going forward we're looking at you snow white okay snow white you got a high bar to clear um but yeah i think this is a great addition to the remakes for the for the first time in a long time um at least for me anyway but yeah
1: okay zoe what about you final thoughts I feel like I, I, I hit it most of what I really like about this movie, but I, I would also just say, like you were just saying, Justin, about the live-action remakes. This is like absolutely like near the top for me. I think Kenneth kind of Branagh's Cinderella has kind of been the number one for so many years because that was just such a really off- affecting adaptation and just kind of again made the familiar feel fresh again, which I think this film does so well. And I definitely don't think it's perfect. I think there are some visual things that are fair to nitpick, but the core of the story is still as strong as ever and i think that the casting not just who they cast but who they represent really adds a lot to this story too and like i said i love romance i am such a hopeless romantic it's like my favorite genre like so the fact that that was done so well here and the chemistry was so potent like you're gonna win me over and get me positive so i i think it's just such a warm romantic movie and I'm excited to see it again, actually, which I don't always say about all the live-action remakes. But. And I wanted to add that
0: we haven't really talked much about this being the first Black live-action Disney princess and just thinking about the cultural impact that this film is going to make when it's released, like by the time everyone's hearing this. I cannot wait to see Little Children at Halloween Dressed up as this iteration. Obviously, we know that the dolls and the toys are out. And just thinking about like me as a Black woman, pretending when I was a child to be Ariel, right? White Ariel in the animation and just thinking about like it was really hard not to tear up at some of these songs especially the part of your world reprise there's there's two more so you get part of your world part of your world reprise after she saves eric and then you get like another kind of reprise later in the film where she's like devastated after she finds out about the wedding with um you know Vanessa and um and just seeing like just knowing that i I, along with other black people that I know, just like reenacted those scenes in our homes. And now we get to see like this true black princess um, come to life has just is just something really like to think about. And like that, just the impact of like seeing that on screen is just amazing. But anyway, that's all I wanted to add. Uh, Matt, please.
2: (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. I I love hearing that. So I could have listened to it for many minutes on more. Uh, okay, uh, my final thoughts here. Um, mentioned a lot, actually. More than I thought I was going to be able to get to in the initial thoughts here. So, let's see. I, I, I'm just going to go through my notes here. I'm going to see what I've written down uh, that maybe I haven't said. Flat lighting. mention that. <laughs> <laughs> you guys would laugh if you saw my notes sometimes. It's pretty funny. Oh, there's a scene where uh, Halle Bailey... Because she just transformed from a mermaid into a human. Uh, She's completely naked. And I thought the way that they got around that scene with her being covered in seaweed and caught on a ship, I thought that was pretty clever and well done.
0: I agree. And in that same vein at the end where you get that scene with Triton turning her into a human in the animated film, obviously we get that transition, right? But we did not get it here in the live action, and I was actually looking forward to that. so you know what we're gonna pour one more out Les poisson the seaweed people, <laughs> and we're gonna pour one out for the transition between human and the mermaid.
2: uh there were audible there were audible sounds of laughter in the beginning of the movie when the quote came up on the screen, but a mermaid has no tears, therefore she suffers more i could I could already hear. The eye rolls from everybody at that point, but I thought that it was really, really, really well done that we get that teardrop at the very, very end of the movie above water, and it tied back to that. I thought, okay, I see what you're doing here, cheeky little bastards at Disney.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No one laughed at mine, but I could sense, you know, I could feel that with some certain people. Um, but I thought, I think it's a sweet quote. I think there was that it's saying a lot. And I love, like you said, the way it was brought back for the
2: finale. There was one moment, I, I think, if I remember correctly, and I could be wrong about this, it was either when Trident destroyed Ariel's stuff in her, you know, what her lair. I, I don't know. What, what, what do you call it? <laughs> You know. Her cavern. Her cavern, sure. Um, that scene, or it was when Trident got killed by Ursula. One of the two, there was a close-up on Halle Bailey where, I swear to you, I could see tears starting to form in her eyes. Like, I saw some reflective surfaces, and I was like, Mm-mm, you're underwater. You can't do that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they, they, they held the actual teardrop until the end. So, yeah, you know, it was... It was kind of silly, but eh, what can I say? It was sentimental, and it worked. Oh, um, and the only other thing I, I guess I want to just say, because I don't think we said maybe enough about her in this. Did you guys like Aquafina as Scuttle? I thought at some points, you know, it was a little grating, but at other points, I could see why she was cast as Scuttle, and, and I could tell that it was working because of that exact reason. You know, you want that... High energy, she's kind of meant to be a bit of an annoying pest. What did you all think?
1: I, I was kind of the same as you. I, I have been a big Aquafina fan, but I do understand the you know d- certain roles where it's like kind of becoming the shtick or whatever. Um, and I saw a little bit of that here, but I do think there are multiple beats that still land and kind of remind you why she does have the opportunities and roles she does. and. I think ultimately I was I was pretty positive on the performance. I don't think it's as consistent as like Debbie Diggs and Sebastian, but I, I was i we're almost like entirely the same with him.
2: It's so funny too because at the world premiere, Destiny. I don't know if you saw on the red carpet, but listening to Jacob Tremblay's voice now compared to uh, when he recorded the lines for Flounder. Oh boy, has he. Uh, <laughs> he's grown up A little boy's grown <laughs> up can't do that no more
0: <laughs> yeah man I was thinking about him and Luca too I did see him I got a chance to chat with him and I was like you know You've been in Luca, obviously the room. This movie existed before you were born, and then he called his mom old. He was like, "Yeah, my mom, my mom's been watching this movie since she was little. She's old." <laughs> 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 and I was like, "No, like he caught a not, his mom caught astray um, on the red carpet." But uh, yeah, no, he's it feels like too because we've seen him in so much, but this is like years and years and years ago. It feels like he's been, you know, like eight or nine for like so long. You know what I mean? Yeah, but he's not so. It's like always crazy to see. This him. is the
2: last time we're going to hear a cute Trombley voice. Definitely forever gone.
0: But um, uh, I'm indifferent I, or something. I don't know. I think yeah. I think I'm just going to say I'm indifferent to Aquafina's scuttle. Um, I don't scuttle was just there. Scuttle was funny but I don't have any thoughts. Like I thought she did better work in riot and the last dragon. So, uh, but honestly, she was like, you know, she was the main character there. You know, she was the last, she was the last dragon. Right. (laughs) So I feel like comparing her to scuttle is probably not the fairest thing, but whatever. I mean, she's, she's whatever. She's cool. She, you know, I thought it was something that was really funny. that got a lot of laughs was, uh, you know, flounder told me everything. Did she kill the prince? Right. That's, that's funny. Um, and I was all right with scuttle, but you know,
2: now, from what I understand, too, I, I, I'm i pretty sure that the type of bird that she's playing, uh, it can go underwater. Yeah, let's talk but about that. I have to say, <laughs> seeing Scuttle underwater was jarring, to say the least.
0: I did not like that. Yeah, I was like, can this bird, now I'm thinking about bird physics. Like, what, why is the bird underwater? <laughs>
2: like, why couldn't we just do this scene above the surface on a rock? Like, w- what would have changed? Yeah.
0: I think I, they I, really I, wanted to drill home that she could not go above the surface because she, till that point, she hadn't still. Mm-hmm. And Triton was still, I think they just really wanted to drill in that control because she doesn't leave until that shipwreck happens. Yeah. But what does that add other than like to show you that Triton's not necessarily
1: emotive
0: uh, in his anger, more as controlling with his anger? I don't know. Zoe, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I'm kind of in the same opinion, too. But I I, I think, like, thematically, it made sense to, like, bring her under and stuff. But I was kind of considering. I was like, I don't really know. I I don't know exactly what the bird this character is. But so I can't say for sure. But, yeah, I I eventually forgot about it towards the end, which is probably what they were hoping. Anyway, so
2: there's one moment where and this happens in the animated film, too, where Sebastian's, like, talking to Ariel. And then he turns the next minute and she's like, sound asleep. And it was like one of those moments where I was like, oh, yeah, now I remember why people related to Ariel so hard. Girl just wants to sleep. (laughs) You know, like, I get it. (laughs) In the end, this movie got more right than it got wrong for me. Um, I wouldn't say that I loved it because at the end of the day, I love the original and nothing's ever going to really top that for me. But I did like it, and I think I will watch it again at some point. I don't know when exactly I'm going to get a chance to watch it again, but I wouldn't mind watching it again, which is definitely more than I could say for some of the other Disney animated remakes, which I haven't rewatched. So for me, I'm giving this a 6 out of 10, but it's definitely more of a recommendation than not. Destiny, what about you? Great out of 10.
0: A 6 out of 10, Matt? A 6 out of 10?
2: Like I said, the underwater stuff is still crappy to me, and I've got some issues. Yeah,
0: I'm ambivalent about this movie, but even my score would be like – my score is an 8 out of 10, which is a B, um, which is definitely what I opened up with. But a 6 out of 10 – I mean there's definitely things that make you scratch your head and go – I don't know about that, but my goodness, that is, that's funny. Okay. Six out of 10. Ouch. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a eight out of 10 girl. Um, I really, as long as you've got a good romance, I'm a sucker for romance. I love the little mermaid. You got some good character work. I I can forgive some of these things. I can forgive some of the, you know, the fleshing out. And I, I just thought that ending sequence was beautiful I don't know if the ending ending with Ariel and Eric on that boat worked for me completely. And maybe I felt it was a little abrupt, like I wanted them to be on that boat. I wanted them to wave from that
2: boat. I was going to say, it didn't for me until I saw the big boat in the distance. Because at first I was like, Mm -hmm. wait a minute, why are they going off this small little (laughs) rowboat? Like Right. (laughs)
0: I thought that too. I was like, not this ghetto boat. Like, surely they have
2: better boats. I was like, Eric decides to leave his family, and they go, "You get nothing. We're not giving you any of our finances for this voyage."
0: I seriously was so confused too. I was like, not this rinky dink. It reminded me of that scene, and forgive me for bringing up another movie, but it reminded me of that scene in uh, it must have been Dawn of Justice or something like that, wherever Superman gets buried in the wooden coffin instead of the nice one yeah right and i was like what is this rinky-dink ass coffin but then it made sense so i was like okay
2: all right but yeah that they, boat... couldn't, they couldn't actually put the man of steel in some steel
0: <laughs> yeah and honestly like what the heck but it made sense I, as soon as we saw that like I, i'm glad you felt that way. as soon as i saw that bigger boat like i breathed because i was very worried for them. Yeah. i was like they're gonna die <laughs> and then i was like but she can swim so i guess not but that was
1: stressful that was really stressful all
2: right zoe what about you great out of ten
1: I've been back. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I think I'm at a like soft eight right now because I was like a high seven soft eight. But I, I really do think when I was like looking at all of my all like rankings for the live action films that where it ranks so close to Cinderella, which is an eight out of ten for me, is where this would be. So I think I'm going to say an eight out of ten as well. I,
2: I want to be clear, too, that I because Destiny, I think you might be on to something. Maybe I am a seven really for this because I didn't take a look at my other rankings, but I, I just in my mind I feel so betrayed and hurt by some of the decisions that Disney's made with some of the live action remakes as of late. So maybe there's a little bit of bias there on on that on my part, but I wouldn't put it past you know for me to grow to like this more over time. Um, but yeah, I mean overall, our three scores average out to a seven. Um, And we'll see, you know, how it does over the years compared to the other live action remakes, because I'm sure there will be more. And now, finally, we'll end this episode here with our feelings towards its awards prospects. Zoe, here's my first number one question to you. Halle Bailey getting a Golden Globe nomination? Yes or no?
1: Ooh, I need to know a little bit more about the field because I do at being the awards obsessive. I am already have kind of like a rough look at like what the gold globe category, you know, delineation. Same. Will be. And there's, there's a lot. in that I think this year, you know, and Barbie comes to mind. Um, I think that the, who, there was something else. We were just, Oh, poor things. Emma Stone and stuff. I, so I think that there will be a, maybe some films that are like higher profile across the board that could um edge her out but i also do think that there is there's a room for this i i know that like emma watson didn't get in for beauty and the beast after some thought she would a couple years ago but i i think there's a stronger narrative here i think this is a stronger performance um and i assume that it's going to be a huge hit at the domestic and worldwide box office too which will you know be a story through the summer which can help um Let's see. It really, I think, will depend on the field because I think her work is deserving, um, but we really just have to see. I think the strength of the other films she's going up against.
2: And Halle Bailey's going to get an opportunity to campaign for this too because she's going to be in The Color Purple later this year as well. So
1: she's going to be around. I think they'll probably have her singing that new song too and everything. So yep, yep.
2: All right. And then uh, what do you think? Any of these new songs contending for original song? Because my first gut instinct says no.
1: That's yeah. kind of where I'm at, too. Yeah, I think I don't know. I, I like I remember Evermore didn't get in way back when, even after getting some precursors for Beauty and the Beast. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. I actually don't think any of these are as strong as that. I actually really liked Evermore. Um, I think they're good. I think they'll probably push Halle's the most because she is Halle Bailey. Um but I don't know. It, it maybe it will get like a critic's choice nomination. Maybe it would get like a golden globe if like she's coming along too. But I don't really think at this juncture that it's gonna go all the way to the Oscars.
2: Yeah, I, I can't see that happening. And you know, Ellen Mencken did win an Oscar uh, for the score of the original. Um I have to imagine that This score would probably be disqualified because so much of it is also carried over. And even if it is like rearranged and such, I just don't see them going for it again. uh, Once again, there's like virtually no precedent for this Uh, visual effects. I would be shocked. I would be beyond shocked if this even made the shortlist, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no way. I can't remember. I think Aquaman even got snubbed from the short list. I know I obviously didn't make the final five, but I remember there was something with that too. So I unless you're James Cameron, I don't think you're underwater movies. <laughs> can I get well, you know what kind of forever uh got in. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Maybe there is hope. Yeah. I maybe the short list. I well at this at this point I could maybe say the short list. I'm not I'm not sure about a final five. Um, because I do think I think there's obviously like Doom will be up there and then there'll probably be like one or two other blockbusters and then like one or two like random like supporting VFX things that like the branch goes crazy for so it's always hard to predict this far out but I I I don't see it but shortlist
2: no the real the real awards win for this movie would be if Halle Bailey could get a Golden Globe nomination and I know in this day and age do the Globes even matter should we even care about the Globes listen you know A win is a win for this young girl at this stage in her career, okay? I'll I'll let her get any award that she possibly can because she's fantastic in the movie, she didn't deserve any of the online hate that she received for her casting, and she rubbed it in everybody's faces here with this great performance and proved them all wrong. So, yeah, shower her with awards, I say. That doesn't mean she's getting an Oscar nomination. Let's hold up now. (laughs)
0: Yeah, no. I see some teen choice. I see some MTV. I see some people's choice. Breakout
2: award maybe from a random critics group somewhere. You never know. Right. Yeah.
0: So maybe some critics choice.
2: Mm. Oh, critics choice. will find a way to get her in there somewhere. I don't know where, but they'll find a way.
0: (laughs) I don't know when. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just saying that at, at CCA.
2: All right. Well, that'll do it here for our review of The Little Mermaid here on the next Best Picture podcast. Destiny, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. Tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the Internet.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun I'm flipping the fins, you know. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Destiny Dreadful and Deadline.com.
2: Yes.
1: Ooh.
2: Zoe, where can they find you on the Internet?
1: You can find me everywhere on the Internet. Zoe so
2: is And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we will see you all next time.